I'm Kelly with Only the Show. I'm here with David Carroll, David Clark Carroll. Uh, he uh, plays in a band called Daring Coyotes. And uh, I've been listening to them all morning, and I'm, I'm really in the zone. I'm really in the mood for this conversation, so I'm excited. I just wanted to start off. Uh, you could tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Kelly. Um, I was on a show a little while back, and I just rambled too much, so hopefully I'm going to make it a little more succinct this time around. Oh, I'll interrupt you. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, you know, I'm I'm just 40. I, I've been playing music pretty much my entire adult life. Uh, I grew up outside Boston playing punk rock. First show I ever played was bass in a basement in a condemned building. The whole bunch of folks with spiked up hair. So the, the current music I'm making is uh, not as radical a departure from that as you'd think, given the trajectory of some other folks. Um, I play bluegrass, uh, bluegrass folk Americana. It's the sort of thing where if you're a hardcore bluegrasser, I might not be your definition, but if you're anybody else, I certainly play bluegrass. There's mandolin, there's guitar. I saw Sam Bush and Doc Watson at Philly Folk Festival when I was about 20 and was like, okay, this that's looks where, like a good time. That's where we're <laughs> headed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's great. That's great. And talk about the instruments you play. I see you play a couple at least on, uh, uh, threads where we met um yeah uh talk about some of the instruments or the instruments that you're you're playing or, or that you play so i started out like you know like so many kids on woodwinds and piano and whatever not going to get into high school too much but when i first got in bluegrass it was mandolin it was david grisman jerry garcia those records uh saw sam bush and then I moved to a town with a whole lot of mandolinists and I started taking up banjo. So I played banjo for about 10 years before wrecking my bike and just ruining my my pinky and all those cool licks I could reach. I just couldn't reach. So I switched back to mandolin and uh, really mandolin has been my primary instrument. Um, I say that despite the fact that I play a ton of shows solo, just me and my Martin guitar. <laughs> <laughs> But those, those are the kind of two main ones I play now is, is mandolin and guitar. And I've got a mandola, which is, you know, that deeper next next string down from a mandolin that's real fun to do too. But uh, mainly mandolin and guitar. Excellent. Uh, I read on your band camp a little about... Um... Oh, no, no. That was this morning. Talk, tell me that story that you told me this morning on Threads about yeah. uh, Prairie Home Companion. So one of the things about the town I lived in, in Northern California called Nevada City, is a lot of musicians retired up there from all around the country, from LA, from Nashville. Um, and so I started a bluegrass jam, probably we're getting close to eight, nine, maybe even 10 years ago now, uh, because bluegrass is fun. And I wasn't aware of the other one in town. And a whole bunch of the old timers came down and were like, oh, cool kids trying to play bluegrass let's let's show you how it's actually done uh and that's that's when i met a number of just incredible musicians uh stuart gold who'd worked with um, a whole bunch of luthiers back in the 70s introduced me to this fiddler he knew uh called rudy darling and like 
for I'd say a good three or four years there, I was playing music with Rudy on a weekly basis at this jam. Like we played, we played a wedding with him. Uh, I played a lot of music with the guy before he ever let it slip that back in the seventies, he was the original fiddler for the powder milk biscuit band on Prairie home companion back when he was in, in Minnesota and Midwest, wherever that is in the upper Midwest, uh, you know, memories fleeting, but yeah, no, Rudy's an incredible musician. He really took me under his wing and just like kicked my butt a lot, honestly. <laughs> um, but just such an incredible fiddler, such an incredible singer. And uh, I, I miss playing music with him. That's great. You know, uh, <laughs> having somebody like that around, uh, I find in music is just invaluable. Like it's like it's the most precious resource is, you know, you, you say you see it on big businesses and corporations, you know, our, our most valuable resources are people. And we forget that there's people actually playing this music, uh, cultivating it and everything. And I just I just really love that. I mean, what other was, artists? Oh, go ahead. It was just so funny. Like he, he's so uh, humble that, like you know, it, it literally took years before he casually mentioned, "Oh yeah, I've got a ridiculous pedigree in in the industry." That like, yeah, you know, I'm good, but like, we just kind of thought he was like you know a retired carpenter, like you know, been playing a lot. And it's like, no, this dude's this dude was on Prairie Home in the seventies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Who else is influencing you like right now? Like when I listened to the CD this morning, mm -hmm. um, it, certainly bluegrass, certainly bluegrass yeah. ever present on every song, but there's also um, perhaps, I don't know, Grateful Dead, the band, something along those lines kind of mixed in a subtle underneath. Am I wrong? Am I off base there? I think so. When I started recording that, it was pretty much right when Tony Rice passed away. I was like maybe like three or four songs deep. The song Green Mountain Fields, I I recorded like after just burning through Church Street Blues. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, like what really hooked me on mandolin in the first place and bluegrass music uh, was the the Jerry Garcia and David Grisman stuff, uh, the Shady Grove album in particular, that just captivated my attention. And I think what you're hearing is less like that I'm venturing into the the band, more, more kind of Grateful Dead realm, and more than I'm not in the Flat and Scruggs, Bill Monroe, super traditional bluegrass mold. It's I think I steal a lot more as far as like thinking about how to arrange songs too from uh, Doc Watson and maybe a few more of the solo performers uh, like uh, Norman Blake and, and kind of thinking about it as opposed to passing, particularly with my record, like the solos aren't passed around in a band setting like you would where it's like, you know, everybody's taking a break. It's, it's a little bit more song focused, which... I, I don't do as much live when there's a full string band up there. Yeah, I'm passing breaks around. But uh, David Bromberg, too, I think was just a massive influence on how I approached making that record. Um, and thinking about just, just the breadth of the sounds he'd, he'd squeeze into, you know, a slab of vinyl. You know, uh, 
let's keep talking about the record. Tell us yeah. the name. Tell us uh, <laughs> some philosophies behind it, like what I read about it on Bandcamp. Um, yeah. And uh, tell us the personnel. So it's called Odyssey of the Far West. Um, the, the cover picture is literally a picture of Monitor Pass, which is a pass in the Sierra Nevada up at about 10,000 feet. And the personnel is just me. Um, it was made peak pandemic, uh, recorded winter of 2020, a little bit into, into 2021. And it was, I was getting ready to leave California. I, I've lived out there for 15 years or so, got married out there. Um, my wife and I had been living in the same small town for over a decade. And we were tired of fire season. Uh, you know, it was stressful all year round pretty much and uh we had older family back east so all of those songs were recorded while i was breaking down my house stuffing books and boxes uh, and it'd be like okay i've packed for six hours today i can go do some recording and uh <laughs> so it, it really is my fond farewell to california all those songs i wrote out there um a lot of them are about nature out there, a lot of them are about my life experiences living living in California, in the country, in the mountains, uh, working for farms, driving long distances, crazy long distance. I mean, you're from Texas, so you know better than than some folks I talk to. But uh, yeah, that's that, that's kind of the album in a nutshell. It, it's my fond farewell to California. It was it was a lovely place to live, and uh, my my time there was up. Man, you know, I was listening to uh natalie miranda yesterday and she is like a big bombastic pop music um disney princess vocals um just amazing you know production wise you know whatever and then today i'm like raw and <laughs> <laughs> now i mean that that album, it's it's a little bit rough too, because you know it's it's made made home gear in my living room, uh, and you know that that place it, it was it was an old double wide manufactured home from the seventies. There's probably songs where you can hear the wind whistling through the windows on if 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 you're listening to just you know just the vocal tracks. Uh, <laughs> you can you can certainly imagine them. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. You know, it it's um it's really atmospheric. I you know, not a whole lot of music. Well, okay, so like a lot of music gives me this cinematic vibe, you know, like we're going for a movie here, but you kind of give me this on stage vibe. Like um like I'm going to uh uh free tickets that NPR gave me or something. And <laughs> <laughs> let's drive, you know. And uh, anyways, uh, and I think it has to do with the live element in your recording process. Can you talk about that, please? Yeah. Um, I mean, everything started with just me and, and my guitar or the uh, the instrumental tracks. I'd start with doing just the mandolin take and, and play those mandolin melodies, those mandolin solos, and then come back and... I didn't do scratch vocals. I didn't redub 
the lead vocal. That's that's just how I sang it. Um, so like, song when I get out, there's me playing the guitar, there's me singing. That was it. It's it's you know it's not a live album, but by and large, that's really how I like to approach it too. It's um, I've tried to comp together uh, solos and songs before, and it I'm just so bad at it. <laughs> Uh, other, other folks have like taken um, overdubs I've done for them and been able to comp together perfectly good stuff. But I'd just rather just, you know, maybe take a walk, go for a hike with the dog, come back and do another full take and see see what I can get just performing it. And uh, the last couple of years, since I moved back to Massachusetts, I do have some a string band of some sorts. We, we play some gigs, but... I'd say 80% of the time I'm on a stage, it's just me. I'm out there doing a whole lot of two, three hour solo shows. And I love to have that energy on the record too, of like, you know, this is a guy who's he's been singing for an hour straight. It's a good time. Here, here Here's a little bit of that moment. And uh, I think, I think you got that a, a lot on the record because I was coming from doing a whole lot of work packing. I was, I was, you know, some of these songs I'd spent all day taking down animal pens or I'd spent all day popping up T posts with, with, with the Jack and like, I'm sweaty. I'm a little tired, but like, here, here's my three or four hours. And in about three or four weeks, I need to get in an RV. So this is, this is time, time's money. It's <laughs> if I'm going to make this record, I was, that was when I was going to do it. <laughs> That's great. Um, you know, we talk about uh, other l limitations or challenges. Uh, you were moving, you had an RV, you were going to move into those kinds of things. Uh, what's been your biggest challenge, you think? Is there one that you think about daily or or what's what's the biggest challenge for you? Motivation. Just just plain and simple. Um having the follow through to make things happen is, is a challenge for me. Uh, I think part of what having that deadline of I've only got this much time forced me to do was I couldn't dilly dally. I had to get on that. If it was going to happen, it was going to happen. There's a couple songs from that session that I keep on wanting to go back and revisit and just Mojo's gone. It's uh, I, I should have got on it in the moment. There's a couple instrumentals. One that I re I love playing live. It's called LG for a Lonely Head Gasket. I, I wrote it sitting in the you know waiting room of Auburn Toyota, finding out just how ruined my car was. <laughs> uh, but maybe I'll record it one of, one of these days. Um, and that's one of the things I'm, I'm doing right now is uh, there's this thing February Album Writing Month Challenge. It's online. Yeah. And it's been so good for me because it forces me to write. And just yesterday, I finished a song that I've been kicking around for like a year and a half now. And I only had one line. I had a great verse, no chorus, great progression, great melody, and just never sat down to finish it. And then put, put this uh, you know timer on of, okay, I need to write a song a day. What's going to be my song today? finally happened so uh figuring out how to properly motivate myself is is the biggest barrier that and i mean we all have actual 
logistical barriers like only so many hours in a day but if you really want to make something happen you can work around those it's it's what are the limitations of your own mind Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I have the same problem with music. You know, I have uh, this constant battle of waiting for inspiration or just forcing myself to play music going on in my head. And I think there's an element of uh, procrastination with that whole waiting for inspiration to kick in thing. So I, at least in my case, uh, because... Oh, yeah. so, because because something always happens when i pick up the guitar and play it for a few hours you know uh but it's kind of like fishing i don't i don't want to go but i'm always glad i went after i've i've gone you know uh it's kind of like that but uh do you perform live there around you is there a good live scene I, so I live in Western Massachusetts. Um, New England's, uh, it, it's a strange place uh, compared to California for so many reasons. But, but the biggest to me is that people don't drive to see shows as much. Um, so what that means is you can really put together kind of mini tour and you're not really conflicting with audiences because people 30 miles away, they're not, they wouldn't come to your show. So you can play a whole lot more regionally than I was able to do in California. I had to do a lot more driving out in California of long distances. Um, this month has been pretty slow for me because it's winter and, you know, New England doesn't have outdoor shows. We don't have any of the places that are a bit maybe three season are just closed right now. But I, I play anywhere from at least once a week to sometimes two three four times a week uh, oh wow march, you're working march is shaping up to be a lot busier I'm, I'm really looking forward to march getting back out there and playing a lot more shows um but it's also it, it's motivation it's, it's like i play more shows if i put in the time to email places to reach out to follow up to send like the fifth email that's polite and not annoying <laughs> and like try and get my way in and 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 it just takes persistence. Um, even the places that that like me, that have me back, and and in one that literally reached out to me first, it's still a like four or five, six emails later, finally have a date down. Um, and then other places, it's like life happens. Uh, there's one place that's it got snowed out once, and then they got taken over by a festival uh, in March, kind of last minute and it's like okay i guess i guess my show is canceled there too so you, life happens but you just got to keep going back out there so yeah I, I play a lot live it's really fun um i lived in albany well north of albany uh and it's very similar there yeah people might not know that western massachusetts and and the albany area are really close together but they are and uh i had a hard time um drawing a crowd anywhere within 30 miles because i played there when i first moved up there like five or six times a week but like you said um just 30 miles away it's it's amazing in texas lubbock is four and a half hours you know and, yeah. and it's like yeah I, I liked that part yeah i do a lot of um for, for whatever reason i play a lot in the berkshires uh great barrington 
Lenox, North Adams, even though I live in, in East Hampton on, on the other side of the, the Berkshire Range in, in the Connecticut River Valley. And it's just so awesome. I, I love the, the summer gigs where I get to go for a hike on the way, drive, drive through some mountains, mm. look at look at some wildflowers, go play a gig. Yeah, that sounds like a fun day. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, you know, I wanted to get in a little bit of talk about your lyrics because I thought your lyrics were really cool. Um, yeah. uh, can you talk about some of the themes and topics you explore uh, in this album uh, lyrically? Because um, I thought they were vivid and insightful and uh, almost laconic in their, you know, how brief they were, you know, and and I just, I, re I really liked your style. So can you talk about your lyrical style? Sure. Um, I think probably as far as like thinking about, thinking about singing and, and writing lyrics, I want to say Bromberg is a big influence, but I feel like he squeezes a lot more words in than I do. Mm -hmm. Um, but as far, as far as the material and the topics, uh, as my buddy Jamie, uh, who played guitar with me out in California and actually is in Nashville now, used to say, Dave, you wrote a whole bunch of fire ecology songs because uh, I, I studied uh, environmental science um, pretty, pretty extensively multiple times trying to get into grad school and it, it never happened. But uh, I learned a lot and particularly living where I lived in Northern California, really right in what they call it, you know, wildland, urban interface, uh, fire country. It, it's just nature's so inescapable. So like I've got a song, uh, Blue Mountain Lake, that, you know, talks about haze in the air, talks about bulldozers, you know, taming fires. I've got uh, other song, uh, Train Whistle Blues, about the, the first time in years I was living somewhere you could even hear a train. That's how remote these mountains are. Finally got up on, I was living, it was about 3,600 feet, um, right, pretty much right at the snow line. So we'd get slammed, but we were on the backside of the mountain from town and you could hear the Union Pacific, like 30, 40 miles away as the crow flies two or three canyons over because it was running along the ridge line up to Donner Pass. And I was the next highest thing it could see so that, you know, when the wind's blowing just right, you can hear that train. Um, other song I, I wrote when I was uh, working for a dairy out on the coast and just kind of reflecting on those early morning hours, those those empty roads, um, really just kind of the interface with nature uh, is, is, I'd say, my central theme. And all these new songs I'm writing keep on finding myself writing about nature. It's it's just where, 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 my, where my mind goes to. Um, That's great. You know, uh, I... If I were put on the spot and asked what my songs were about, I would be like, I don't know. You're, <laughs> you're like, uh, straight up nature. That's really cool. You know, uh, that's kind of like, uh, I don't know. It, it kind of reminds me of a sense of focus or something. I, a little bit. I think that's partly so to throw a huge wrench in the gears and, probably surprise and confuse most people. 
I studied comparative religion in college. Uh, I literally got a degree in comparative religion, which is very use, very useless. Uh, I'm not a believer in really much, if anything. Uh, and about half my class went on to become rabbis, ministers, you know, imams. And then there's me singing songs. So I think partly the reason I focus on nature so much is I studied a lot of shamanism. I studied a lot of religion and it's, it's really all about grappling with, with our role in the cosmos. And, you know, the only aspect of the cosmos that can really find comprehensible to me is nature. So it's like, yeah, I'm writing about nature. I'm writing about it from an environmental science side. But like, I think my, my deeper motivation for writing about it is, is that deeper shamanistic urge to try and connect people who are disconnected with nature back with nature. Yeah. That that I mean, <laughs> like I said, you're very articulate genius. in your in your nature talk. You're very articulate in your nature talk. You just made me want to go take a hike, and I haven't done that since I was a kid. So, but, uh, goal accomplished. <laughs> How are you connecting with your fans these days? Uh, what are you using? Where are you at? Tell us where to find you. So. I found you on threads. Uh, mm -hmm. That's been the largest, most collaborative platform I've, I've come across in years. Um, it, my old town had been on Facebook. My new town, very few people use Facebook. Instagram was kind of a thing. I'm there. I'm everywhere. If, if you're on social media, if you're online, uh, you can find me. I've even got some TikToks up um you but, got a website too right or a link tree? yeah or... uh daring coyotes.com I'm, I'm sure kelly will stick the link down there somewhere yes that's, that's my that's my side hustle by the way if 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 people need websites come holler at me uh i build wordpress they're simple they're cheap they work uh um okay, <laughs> okay. yeah definitely i'll put that in the notes too there's so many platforms out there and the one consistent thing is, is they change, they evolve and it seems they invariably fade and turn to, you know, less useful. So having that, you know, own personal home on the web as a website still feels important to me. Um, you know, regardless of what happens with any social media platform, with any of the rules around streaming on YouTube, wherever, you can always find me at daringcoyotes.com. Send me, send me a message, listen to my music. It'll be there. That's great. I, I'm a firm believer in websites and email. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, I had 15,000 followers on Twitter. And, and then I just hated Twitter one day. And so I quit Twitter and then, um, but I had so many emails um that i i snagged a few with who's coming with me who's coming that was me uh awesome what's next what's next you got you're working on something you uh what can you talk about that's coming out soon so i have a song that i recorded back around my birthday that i thought was going to be um on my next album 
but all the stuff I'm writing feels pretty different from it. So I think we're going to see a single dropping here in the next month or two. Um, there's a couple names I'm batting around, so I don't want to get too bogged down in, in the exact name for it, but I really had fun doing it. It's, um, I turned, I turned 40, uh, back in December. It, it's a little bit of me kind of like reckoning with, well, I'm, I'm no longer a young man, but I'm not, I'm not that old. And, uh, it's got this line of keep growing older while life keeps getting weirder. And it's probably why I think I'm just going to go ahead and drop it as a single. Cause it, it just feels kind of like a theme song for, for my life as of late, uh, played it out quite a bit since I wrote it last summer and that's, that's coming down the pike. Um, I've got, there's gonna be a lot of music coming for me this year. Uh, I think I'm going to drop the single this spring and then probably the album's going to be summer and maybe, maybe fall. It's wow. I've got 11 written in the last week and a half, uh, from this album writing challenge. I've got six, eight instrumentals that are in various stages of arrangement. Um, we've talked a lot about my, my lyric writing, but not too much. I write a lot of instrumentals too. Right, There's right. four, three, four, I think on, on the album. Um, and the first two years I lived when I moved back, that's all I could write. I wrote a whole bunch of instrumentals. I've, I've been playing this one lately that's definitely going to be on, on the next record called Slushy Sidewalks, all about walking around, you know, February in the Northeast. It's not quite as appropriate today, this last week, but, you know, Slushy Sidewalks will be back. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that's great, man. Hey, I really thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I I had a blast. Uh, and I want to maybe uh, have you back after you release something. And we can talk about that if you want. Um, but uh, it's been a great interview. I really appreciate you coming on. Hey, thanks for having me on, Kelly. This has been a... I didn't do much promo on my album first draft because uh, basically it's it's release tour got Omicroned and then I uh, just lost all momentum and steam. And here here we are two years later about, about to come out with, with new stuff. So yeah, lock yeah. some dates down. We'll be in touch. Yeah, and we can coordinate it to where an interview comes out the same day as a release or something. And so, uh, strategic. I like that. You know, <laughs> hey, hey, you got to be strategic, right? So, well, all right. Well, I'm going to press the button. Thanks again. And uh, have a good one, man. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, Kelly. Okay. Bye bye.